May we turn in the Bible, please, to the epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I have brought you a number of messages on the epistle to the Ephesians. And I have been dealing with the practical half, the latter portion of the epistle, this past week, I have been ministering morning and evening in Cape May at the Christian Admiral Conference, and I have spent the entire week just expounding the epistle to the Ephesians. And it is a magnificent epistle. And I thought that perhaps <clears throat> I would turn to the doctrinal portion of it for our study and then, of course, in the evening, as I continue the message that I brought last Sunday night, I pointed out to you that there were four things about this Christian who turned out to be a soldier, and we dealt with only two of them. First, the enemy was recognized, pointed out, singled out. He was the devil. Second, the soldier stood up to the devil. He stood. He didn't run. Third, the Lord equipped him with adequate uh, armor and with the instruments of warfare. And in the fourth place, the soldier was a praying soldier because he was commissioned to pray in all things. And we'll be dealing with that this evening. The epistle to the Ephesians deals with the church, the church, the body of Christ. The body has a head, and the head is said to be our Lord. And in these next few weeks, we're going to hear a great deal about the church beginning the 4th of July, and for two weeks, the World Council of Churches will meet in Uppsala, Sweden, and our papers and our radios will be full of it. And here these larger church bodies throughout the world have come together in a movement which they call ecumenical, the purpose of which is to bring into being one great world church. On the other hand, the International Council of Christian Churches, which is definitely a, a movement of challenge and protest, will assemble in Cape May. And here we will have a company of Bible-believing churches from all over the world that stand for the great common fundamental doctrines of the Christian religion. And the concepts of the church which are held by these bodies is entirely different from that of the ecumenical side. And here will be a company of believers declaring that the Bible is the word of God and that the church has been commissioned to minister and to declare the scriptures 
and that we will not see one great visible church until Christ comes and gathers us all to himself in the day of resurrection and glory, and that it is God's will here on the earth that the, the scriptures be exalted in the church and that the church never, never be exalted in itself or be exalted beyond the word. Now this epistle to the Ephesians is divided into two sections. The first is the doctrinal, the second is the practical. We say that we believe the scriptures to be our only infallible rule of faith. Well, we, we believe the great things that are told us about the faith, this deposit. And also our infallible rule of practice. We believe what the scripture says in regard to our conduct and the way we should live, how we should treat one another. So in this matter of faith, the Bible is clear, and in this matter of practice, the Bible is clear. But in these great epistles, the doctrinal section always comes first, and the practical section comes second. And this is the divine order, truth is in order to godliness. Doctrine is not developed out of experience. Experience is developed out of doctrine. And this is the order of the scriptures, and this is the order that God would have it in all things. Consequently, we must be a church that is knowledgeable in the matter of doctrine. And then we must be a people who are willing to obey the instructions of our Lord in all matters. And his commandments leave absolutely no area of our lives and no field of human endeavor uh, untouched. The glory of our God extends to every single thing that you and I are related to. And the glory of our God extends to all his works of creation and now particularly to his work of recreation and restoration in redemption. Now in this practical section, the apostle begins by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. The saints which are at Ephesus have long since passed on, and the church of which he speaks here is no more. But the faithful in Christ Jesus are still with us. And Paul drafted this epistle knowing that what he would say would not only be to the little church in Ephesus which he'd been instrumental in bringing into being, but that these words would be for the faithful in Christ throughout all the ages. And these words are addressed to us. Moreover, if you will notice, he begins by saying, Paul, an apostle. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is writing in his authority and in the position where Christ hath placed him. And then over in the second chapter, 
In verse 20, when he speaks about the fact that we are now no longer strangers, and in verse 19 he says we're not uh, foreigners, but we're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The apostle was of the mind that what he is here writing as an apostle would be a part of the foundation upon which the church would be established and built. And I think it's very interesting that when he says here in verse 20 that we are built upon the foundation, that he didn't say the prophets first, he put the apostles first the apostles and the prophets. He's an apostle. And the apostle directed this epistle to the saints of all ages. And what he has to say in this epistle is directed by the Spirit to you and to me specifically. Sometimes when you go to read these epistles and they just live and they just are full of life and Every time you read, you see more, and every time you study, you seem to get deeper. But there's a glorious thought that comes to you. And I think of this especially in regard to Peter's epistle, but it's true in Paul too. But we are just as close to the Apostle Paul this moment as we read and as we expound this passage. Just as close to him as were the saints in Ephesus who received the letter the same letter had been changed. And we are just as close to the Apostle Paul in what he had to say to the church as that moment when he laid down his pen and the ink dried on the parchment that this was first written. The years that have intervened between the writing of this epistle and our expounding of it just now completely vanished. And we are a people who go back to the authority and to the simple direct message that was delivered to the church. Now I mentioned Peter just a moment ago. Well, I think of it in regard to Peter because Peter says in his epistles, he says, I'm putting these things down so that after my passing ye can have them in remembrance always. And so if you want to find out what Peter felt and how Peter believed, you go right back to that moment when he laid down his pen and the ink dried on his epistles. And here it is. He wants us to have it in remembrance. And 2,000 years have intervened. But I can tell you, beloved, there's no place between Peter and you and me for a church or for a pope or for anyone else. And we are a people who live by the word. We are a people who feed on the word and the church's function is simply to declare it and to minister it and that's all. Now let's open it up for us today. Let us see in the first place what the apostle has to say just in summary in this matter of our walk. And then we'll get into the detail of the position of the church, the place of the church, and the blessings that God has ordained for the church. And we are the church, 
those of us who are the believers. In this matter of our walk, there's quite a, a symmetry about the outline that the <clears throat> apostle gives us, but turn to chapter 4. And in verse 1, he says, I beseech you that ye walk worthy of the calling. Everything that he said in the first three chapters is the calling. Before the foundation of the world we were chosen. We're members of the body. We have this witness. This is the calling. Now you walk worthy of it. Then in verse 17, you have that verse that I expounded in one of the earlier messages, that ye walk not as other Gentiles walk. The ungodly Gentiles live in their sin, in their darkness. They steal, they lie, they slander one another, they're full of bitterness. You don't walk like that. You haven't so learned Christ, he said. And then you turn on to the fifth chapter, and in the fifth chapter, in verse 2, he says, Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. And then after you have the emphasis upon the love, you turn to verse 8, and he says, Walk in the light. Walk as children of light. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. You've come out of the ungodly, out of the unregenerate. You've come out of the pit. You've come into the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, which is in the face of Jesus Christ. And you walk in that light. And then he says in verse 15, it's time for you to watch your walk a little closer more closely and you walk circumspectly and you say no to this and no to that and no to this and conserve your time and spend your energies in the ways which will do the most for the glory of God and for the furtherance of the gospel. Walk worthy. Walk not as the Gentiles. Walk in love. Walk in light. Walk circumspectly. He's telling us these things, and every single one of us must listen to the way in which he tells us to go. One thing that I had come to my mind this week, which I hadn't observed before, is that when you get down to the end of these five exhortations concerning walk, he says in verse 19, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, uh, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. The Christians in this world are to be a happy singing people, and as we move along in our walk, we come and we sing, and it's the glory of the church that she opens her mouth in these great hymns of praise. In the midst of the troubles, the darkness, the unbelief, the opposition, the persecution, the apostasy, we must be a singing church. And then finally, he says, we are giving thanks to God in all things. We are a thankful people to God for all that he's given us and all that he's done for us. Now that's your outline of your practical matter. But let's go now and look at the other side of the picture. And in this 
text, chapter 1, verse 3. He says, God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. All spiritual blessings are from the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There are two things I want you to see about that. The first thing that I want you to notice is that he is telling you that you don't get any spiritual blessings out of this earth and out of this world with its darkness. There's not one single thing that the world sin has to contribute to the church. Not a thing. There has to be the chasm and the difference and the separation between the spiritual and between that which is condemned by God. It must be recognized by the church and the church and God's people must constantly be aware that every Every single spiritual blessing comes from the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It says all of them. The church isn't going to be blessed by the earth. The church is going to be blessed from heaven. My, that is a magnificent concept. Right now we're getting all mixed up and the church has gotten the idea that she must uh, somehow or other get her blessings right here on the earth and she must proceed to change things around so she can be blessed by what's taking place down here on the earth. The apostle is saying all spiritual blessings are given by God from the heavenly places. But you say, where are the heavenly places? Well, literally in the Greek it means the heavenlies, the heavenlies. It's not here, it's yonder in the great beyond. But in order that you and I would have no possible doubt as to what was meant by the heavenlies and by the heavenly places as it's here translated, the apostle Paul identifies it for us without any possible doubt. In the 19th and the 20th verses of this first chapter, he's speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand. Where? Where did he set him? In heavenly places. In heavenly places. Where? Far above all principalities and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Now, the only reason we know that there are such creatures as angels, the only reason we know there is a creature like Gabriel is that the Lord tells us about him and sent him to the Virgin Mary. The only reason we know that there is such a creature is is Michael, is that the Bible tells us about him, gives us his name, and tells us something of the mission that he had to the people of Israel. The only reason we know there was such a creature and there is such a creature is Lucifer, is that the Bible tells us about him and he tells us that he was thrown out of heaven and he turned out to be the devil. 
But the apostle is saying here, there are principalities, there are dominions, there are names, and far above all the principalities of the created universe, far beyond it all, the Lord Jesus Christ has ascended on high. And where did he ascend? To the heavenly places. And beloved, the apostle is saying here that the blessings that come to the church come way beyond the realm of the principalities and the powers and all the unseen creatures of God's universe, way out beyond that, in that place where Jesus Christ with his nail-pierced hands now abides, and where he is seated, as this passage says, at the right hand of the throne of God. Where that place is in the universe, we do not know, but it is a place. And the apostle is telling us that it's from the right hand of the Father, it is in Christ that the church receives her blessings. And he proceeds to tell us here in this third and fourth chapter, third and fourth verse, that even before the foundation of this little world where we are, way out there beyond the principalities, God Almighty chose us in Jesus Christ. And that was one of the spiritual blessings that God has given to you and me. The church is an elect body. The church is an heavenly body. The church is made up of those who do not belong down here. They're not of this world. They're not of this realm. They don't belong to the darkness that surrounds us. We have been taken out of it. We've been translated out of the kingdom and from the power of darkness over into the kingdom of God's dear Son. That's your spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. I think we get ourselves so mixed up and so tangled up and so filthy as a church because we don't see that we are indeed a body which gets all of its blessings, everything the church has, has been given to her by her head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, there's only one place where the Lord wants you. He wants you to be with him and his word. That's it. That's it. All right, now look at this second matter. I just pointed out to you in Ephesians chapter 1 when he says that Jesus Christ has now been raised from the dead and he's been seated at his own right hand in the heavenly places. That's where our Savior is tonight. That's where he is and we're waiting for him to leave that place and come back and take off the veil and open the heavens and let us see him. And when he returns in power and great glory, we will behold him. And we shall know him by the prints of the nails that are in his hand. But this same Jesus who walked this earth, the dusty paths of Bethlehem and Jerusalem, 
and Judea. This same Jesus who was spit upon by the mob. This same one who was rejected by the ecclesiastical leaders of his day. This one whom they crucified and whom they rejected. God raised him from the dead. And when God raised him from the dead, the Lord proceeded then to lift him up, and he placed him at his own right hand in the heavenlies, and we'll walk by faith. we look to him. He's the one who said, I have all power in heaven and earth. And the power of heaven comes down to this earth. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we who are the church have been commissioned to go out in his name and to preach his gospel and to bring to men the message of everlasting life. That's number two. Will you turn to chapter 2 and look at verse 6. This entire chapter as it opens up here fits into the picture that he's been drawing for us. We live down here in a world that's under condemnation. Wherein in times past ye walked, this is the way you walked before you were saved according to the course of this world, and that's the way the ungodly are going, according to the prince of the power of the air, and that's where Satan rules, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, and here are the ungodly all about us, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. We were children of disobedience. We walked according to the course of this world. We listen to the prince of the power of the air. And in times past ye had the lusts of your flesh, ye fulfilled the desires of the flesh, and listen to this, of the mind. Of the mind. Here are our modern educators with all the filthiness of their mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. And I think the great calamity of this hour is, I think it's the great calamity in our preaching today is that the preachers, even the fundamentalist preachers, those of us who stand for the great common doctrines of the faith, don't make the line of division and the line of distinction between the ungodly and the believer as incisive and as clearly drawn as it is in the Bible. Just look at that passage. This is the way you used to be. You were children of wrath. You had the desires of the flesh and of the mind. You walked in the conversation of this world. You were children of disobedience. You walked according to the course of this world. And unless you bring the wrath of God, unless you bring the condemnation of God upon this world, upon sinners, upon those who are dying without Christ, without God, without hope. And unless you bring that in all of its force and all of its fierceness before the consciences of men, they're not ready to listen to what you have to say about the idea that all the blessings come from the heavens. All I'm doing is emphasizing what the Bible emphasizes, the total depravity, the total inability of man 
to do anything to lift himself up. Man is ruined by the fall. And we need to hear it. It needs to be preached. And the only way that man can be helped is that his blessings must come from heaven. They must come from Christ. They must come in the gospel which has been delivered to us. And they must come from the word of God which God has given us here to direct us how we should enjoy him and glorify him forever. Now he says, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherein he loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, together with Christ, together with Christ. No one else can quicken us but Christ. No one else can change us but Christ. No one else can help us but Christ. By grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where are we supposed to be seated? In the heavenlies in Christ. That's where we're supposed to be. God's mercy came down and it lifted us up out of this awful pit and awful the quagmire of sin and the filthiness of man. And he has lifted us up and made us sit together in heavenly places. Together, the church is together. We're to be a clean body. We're to be a pure body. We're to be a holy people. We've been brought to sit together in heavenly places. And the one who is leading us, the one to whom we look, is none other than Jesus Christ. And he says so. Beloved, we do not belong down here. Our conversation is in heaven from whence we look for the Savior who shall change our vile bodies. Please, please, let's stop looking to the earth about us. Let's stop looking to sinful power to do anything for the church. They can't do it. It's not possible for them to do it. Oh, beloved, this is pretty strong medicine for some people today who like to mix the church and the world and say the two must be put together and there's no difference. Pretty strong doctrine. But this is the kind of doctrine that separates the unbeliever from the believer. This is the kind of doctrine that separates the church from the world and binds her securely to her Lord who sits at the right hand of the Father. He's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All the blessings that God has for the church come through Christ. And the only way that you and I can get to the Father is through Christ. There's only one mediator between God and man. He's the man Christ Jesus. 
We go to God through Christ, and all the blessings God gives to us are in Christ, and they're through Christ. Paul's telling the church there in Ephesus, he's telling us of every age, beloved, of every single age, wherever we are, that we've been bound together by the grace of God, and our conversation is there, we're seated up there, and I'll tell you people right now, just as plain as any preacher could possibly tell anybody, if everybody had this idea today, Woody wouldn't be building a super church. We wouldn't put the church together in some kind of a big organization with a pope at the head of it, with all this mixture and commingling of all kinds of contradictions. We would say our conversation is in heaven, our head is in heaven, our Savior is in heaven, and all we need to serve him is to take this blessed book and read it and understand it and live it and follow these commandments and then let each one of us please the Lord in what we do. This kind of thing takes the visible, organized body of the church and shrinks it up and makes it simply a, an agency in the hand of God for the purpose of ministering the word and declaring the word. The church has no power in itself. The church has no life in itself. All the power's in the blood. All the life is in Christ. And the church has a divine appointment to subordinate herself and to exalt her Lord. And all the blessings come from the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ who redeemed us. But there's still a fourth point here. I want you to see it. What does he say about this church? He says, heavenly places, heavenly places, heavenly places. The blessings are from there, our Savior's there, we've been seated together there. And now he comes with another idea that I'm sure no human being would have ever thought about. And I'm sure when I get to this point you'll have to recognize that this is revelation in all of its glory. No human being on this earth could possibly say what the apostle now says. Will you turn, please, now to this third chapter? And in the third chapter, he begins reading verse 8. And unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of this mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Christ Jesus to the intent that now, now please just look at this, would you just look at this, that now unto the principalities and the powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you hear me say 
that no human being could possibly know that? No human being on this earth, living as we are, confined to this little sphere, could possibly rise up and tell anybody what the principalities and the powers in the heavenlies would think or even that they were there without divine revelation. It's impossible. And the Apostle Paul is now saying that the church does something in the heavenlies that none of us ever thought about before. None of us ever even began to think about this before. Do you know we've always had the idea? We've always had it. We have the idea we're to go forth, preach the gospel. And we win sinners to Christ and they're saved and we're putting the church together and we're building the church for the glory of God and we call it the kingdom. Yes, beloved, we're down here and that's our task. We're witnesses and workers and we're going out and winning men to Christ. But who ever said anything about the church having a witness in the heavenly places to the principalities and the powers up there? The only possible way in which you and I could know anything about this is that the Spirit of God, by divine revelation, is giving unto the apostle this glorious bit of information about the other side. The other side! The other shore! The hosts of heaven! They look at the church they look at the church. And when they look at the church, they see... What does the apostle say they see? The manifold wisdom of God. To the intent that now, right now, under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Oh, heaven looks at the church. And all heaven sees in the church something that can be seen nowhere else in all the universe that God made. And when they look at this body called the church, they see wisdom in there. They see wisdom that goes beyond any wisdom that they'd ever seen before in the created works of God. That's what they say. Well, you say, well, will you please explain that to me? How in the world is that possible? Well, let me explain it to you. Let me explain it to you. Here's our world. It's condemned. And all heaven knows it. Lucifer was thrown out. This is where he landed. This is where he came. This is his dominion. And all heaven knows that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. The whole of God have not sinned. They know it. They know it. And yet the strangest thing is taking place, so far as they're concerned. 
It's the strangest thing. There's this little earth down here, millions of souls on it. Here's the right hand of the Father up there beyond the principalities and the powers. Way beyond them we're seated up there. Way beyond the place that the principalities and powers occupy. And these principalities and powers say, look, here come some people from down here where it's cursed. And they pass us by. And they go beyond where he's seated. How is that possible? How could that possible work out? And then they say, look, look here. Look at the angels and archangels. Here's a steady stream of souls leaving this earth. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And one of these days you and I will be in that steady stream. Because if the Lord doesn't come, we're going to get in that body. And here they come a steady stream all the time coming out of the body. And where do they go to hell? No, they don't go to hell. They go to be with Christ. They go into the presence of the Lamb and there they are in His presence. And the archangels and the archangels and they look at this and they say, How is it possible? How is it possible that our holy God who made us could possibly receive anybody out of this pit of iniquity, out of this place which he's cursed? How is it possible that the earth that's under his condemnation and their death reigns? How is it possible that out of that place of death these souls could be coming day after day, hour after hour into the presence of Jesus Christ? Would you answer that for me, please? The apostle says, Now unto the principalities and the powers in the heavenlies might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. There's something about the church. There's something that's made this possible that reveals a wisdom which the created beings don't understand. Do you know what it is, beloved? you know what it is? It's the cross. It's the cross. There was the wisdom of God. Paul says we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews it's a scandal. And unto the Greeks it's foolishness. But unto us who are saved it is the wisdom of God. And there is a wisdom in that cross which can be seen only in the cross. Nowhere else in the universe can it be seen. Beloved, there has been only one Calvary, only one Son of God who came down and left the glory which he had with the Father. He emptied himself. He passed down by all the principalities and the powers. And he made his way to a virgin's womb in Bethlehem's manger. Then he lived a life that was not deserving of any condemnation. He was sinless. These wicked men down here laid their hands upon him and they crucified him. And he said he came not to be ministered unto but to minister. And he said to give my life a ransom. There's wisdom. There's the wisdom of God. God Almighty ordained 
that his own son would come and pay the penalty of death and pay the judgment upon sin that Christ would bear the iniquity of men and having borne it finally, completely, fully, God would raise him from the dead. And he was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And then he made his way back above principalities and powers. And isn't it interesting, according to this order, you can say what you want to about it, but this place where Jesus is is far beyond them. And when he came down, he had to come through them to Bethlehem's manger. And when he ascended from the top of the Mount of Olives, he had to go back through them far beyond them. And every time the soul of a believer down here leaves this body in which we dwell, that spirit goes immediately into the presence of Jesus Christ. And Paul says the archangels and the angels, they look at this church and they see in it something that they don't see in the creation. You can only see it in the place where redemption was wrought out for sinners. And even the hosts of heaven, they look at the church and they say it's a blood-washed company. They've been washed in the blood of the Lamb and all of that blood was shed because God in his infinite mercy, God by his glorious and his irresistible grace, elected a company out of the rotten condemnation of a sinful humanity and he's lifted them up and seated them together in the heavenly places.
Beloved, the greatest thing in all the universe is the cross of Christ. It's the greatest thing that God ever did. Oh, yes, he created all things for his own glory. But when we sinned and ruin was upon us and his justice demanded the punishment and he is just, and how can he be just and the justifier of the ungodly? The answer is the cross. And the greatest thing that God has ever done in all eternity was to send his son to die for us. And then he raised him from the dead on the third day. Oh, you Christians, remember where you are seated. Remember the wisdom that's wrapped up in you since you've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Oh, you Christians, you don't belong down here. We're lights. We're the salt. We're to stand for righteousness. We're to be witnesses against our generation. And we're to seek to win men to Jesus Christ that they may then serve him and dedicate everything they have to him. What is this? Your blessings are from the heavenly places. Your Christ is in the heavenly places. We are seated in the heavenly places. And then the principalities and the powers that abound in the heavenly places, they look at us, they see the redemption that was purchased for our souls and our bodies, and they behold the manifold wisdom of God. There is wisdom in redemption that is not displayed in creation. All that God ever did in creation and we glory in it. But God didn't have to save us. He was under no obligation to send his son. There's nothing that we have in us or about us that in any way could commend us to him. Oh, what manner of love it is. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, beloved, when you see that, and you see that marvelous build-up in doctrine, and he stops it. He stops there about the church. Then what does he say? I beseech you, brethren, I testify to you, brethren, that you walk worthy of this calling wherewith ye are called. And then he starts out, walk worthy, and don't walk like the Gentiles, and walk in love, and walk in the light, and walk circumspectly. There you are. Oh, beloved, if you see that cross which even the principalities and the powers look at, they just look at it and see the wisdom. But you can look at it and say, you archangels, you don't know anything about the redemption that purchased me. Because he loved me and he gave himself for me. Here I am, Lord. Everything is yours. Everything. I'll walk worthy of that calling. I'll be, Lord, what you ask me to be. 
I will serve you, Lord, down here in any capacity, at any place, at any time. I'll give everything I have to you, Lord, and here it is. I walk worthy of that calling. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have ever lasting life. Whoever thought that the angels would have to look at us to see the manifold wisdom of God. Only revelation can tell us that. And this is God's revelation to us, his church. Let us pray. Our Father, we do thank thee for Ephesians. Oh, how rich and how deep it is. And we thank thee that we can exhort thy people to turn away from the world and all its lust. That we can exhort thy people not to be like the other Gentiles. That we can exhort thy people to walk in love toward each other. A love which is sanctified and purified by the law and a love which is a gift from God. And then, our Father, we thank thee for this great witness that we've just seen. Lord, if the angels look at us and see thy wisdom, oh, may the sinners down here hear the message, the good word of salvation. May men believe that God sent his Son to die for them, that we might be lifted up out of this awful darkness into the marvelous light of the children of God. Father, may this deep, heavy doctrine rest upon our souls today. And may we be sanctified by thy truth. May we throw off the old things which have been hindrances. May we lay aside the weights which so easily detain us. May we give up the errors and the mistakes that we've made in former times. And Lord, may we see the one who was crucified. And now we're with him, seated with him in the heavenly places. Amen. Three hundred and seventy-nine. I want you to come back tonight, as many of you as you can, because I got some more of this tonight. This latter part of that armor is very important. All right, let's turn now. Three hundred and seventy-nine.
teachers of these Bible school to come forward as we sing the last verse. We'll sing the last verse, but all the teachers, please come forward. thing in all the universe is the cross of Christ. It's the greatest thing that God ever did. Oh yes, he created all things for his own glory. But when we sinned and ruin was upon us and his justice demanded the punishment and he is just and how can he be just and the justifier of the ungodly? The answer is the cross. And the greatest thing that God has ever done in all eternity was to send his son to die for us. And then he raised him from the dead on the third day. Oh, you Christians, remember where you are seated. Remember the wisdom that's wrapped up in you since you've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Oh, you Christians, you don't belong down here. We're lights. We're the salt. We're to stand for righteousness. We're to be witnesses against our generation. And we're to seek to win men to Jesus Christ that they may then serve him and dedicate everything they have to him. What is this? Your blessings are from the heavenly places. Your Christ is in the heavenly places. We are seated in the heavenly places. And then the principalities and the powers that abound in the heavenly places, they look at us. They see the redemption that was purchased for our souls and our bodies. And they behold the manifold wisdom of God. There is wisdom in redemption that is not displayed in creation. All that God ever did in creation and we glory in it. But God didn't have to save us. He was under no obligation to send his son. There's nothing that we have in us or about us that in any way could commend us to him. Oh, what manner of love it is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, beloved, when you see that, and you see that marvelous build-up in doctrine, and he stops it. He stops there about the church. Then what does he say? I beseech you, brethren, I testify to you, brethren, that you walk worthy of this calling wherewith ye are called. 
And then he starts out, walk worthy and don't walk like the Gentiles and walk in love and walk in the light and walk circumspectly. There you are. Oh, beloved, if you see that cross which even the principalities and the powers look at, they just look at it and see the wisdom. But you can look at it and say, you archangels, you don't know anything about the redemption that purchased me. Because he loved me and he gave himself for me. Here I am, Lord. Everything is yours. Everything. I'll walk worthy of that calling. I'll be, Lord, what you ask me to be. I will serve you, Lord, down here in any capacity, at any place, at any time. I'll give everything I have to you, Lord, and here it is. I walk worthy of that calling. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever thought that the angels would have to look at us to see the manifold wisdom of God only revelation can tell us that. And this is God's revelation to us, his church. Let us pray. Our Father, we do thank thee for Ephesians. Oh, how rich and how deep it is. And we thank thee that we can exhort thy people to turn away from the world and all its lusts that we can exhort thy people not to be like the other Gentiles, that we can exhort thy people to walk in love toward each other, a love which is sanctified and purified by the law, and a love which is a gift from God. And then, our Father, we thank thee for this great witness that we've just seen. Lord, if the angels look at us and see thy wisdom, Oh, may the sinners down here hear the message, the good word of salvation. May men believe that God sent his son to die for them, that we might be lifted up out of this awful darkness into the marvelous light of the children of God. Father, may this deep, heavy doctrine rest upon our souls today. And may we be sanctified by thy truth. May we throw off the old things which have been hindrances. May we lay aside the weights which so easily detain us. May we give up the errors and the mistakes that we've made in former times. And Lord, may we see the one who was crucified. And now... We're with him, seated with him in the heavenly places. Amen. <clears throat> 379. I want you to come back tonight, as many of you as you can, because I got some more of this tonight. This latter part of that armor is very important. All right, let's turn now. 379.
ask the teachers of this Bible school to come forward as we sing the last verse. We'll sing the last verse. But all the teachers, please come forward. 